Our scripture this morning is from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 4 through 8. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked in hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, Vince, come on forward. So I'm going to just uh, very briefly introduce this morning's guest preacher. Uh, Vince Slocum has, has been a member here at Court Street Church for about a year now. Uh, he's been part of our church family for a little bit longer than that. Uh, Vince is, is one of these people who at a very young age uh, experienced a call to ministry. God said, Vince, I've got something for you to do. And, and Vince is one of these people who said, uh, no, thank you, and, and went off and did a bunch of other things for a while. And uh, now Vince is at a point in his life where he's ready to, uh, ready to answer that call. He, uh, he preached his first sermon back in September, uh, and uh, anybody who was here that Sunday morning knows that there's now no doubt in, in our minds that Vince is, uh, is called to this, that God has been preparing for him for this. Uh, and, and Vince is already now, just about a month later, back up and preaching his second sermon. I told him the second sermon is much harder than the first sermon, uh, so he's good and nervous, uh, and uh, uh, he'll, he'll appreciate any prayers and, uh, and good positive body language you can give him this morning while he's preaching. Would you please, for the second time, welcome uh, Vince Slocum to the pulpit to bring us our message this morning. Vince, all right, man. Here we go. You got it. Get me switched on. Switched on, okay. On January 17th, 2017, I had my first panic attack. Now, I'd always thought of myself as a fairly progressive and empathetic sort of fella, and if you'd asked me that morning if I knew what it was like to struggle with mental illness, I probably would have told you, yeah, you know, I I think I do. I, I might not know exactly what it's like, but I can paint a pretty clear mental picture. However, I can tell you with surety that that mental picture I would have painted that morning did not include me in the midst of a full tilt panic attack, sobbing uncontrollably in the middle of a very busy and yet still somehow very quiet big boy restaurant. Mom, you were there. You remember. (laughs) What happened to me that day became a regular occurrence in my life, and what I hoped was just an isolated incident very quickly became my new normal as I continued to ignore the growing signs of mental distress that were welling up inside of me. January 17th, 2017 was the date of my first panic attack. April 22nd, 2017 was the date that I finally sought help for what I was going through. 
Now, for those of you doing the math in your heads, that's four months and five days. Four months and five days before I finally saw a therapist who would go on to diagnose me with generalized anxiety disorder with episodes of acute panic. It was also four months and five days in which I tried desperately to hide what I was going through from the people in my life. You see, I looked around and life just made sense to everybody else. They all got it. Everyone I saw, friends, colleagues, all seemed to be facing the same kinds of stresses that I was, had the same kinds of work issues that I was facing, and yet they all seemed able to face those without coming unglued and collapsing in on themselves like a a ball of putty. It was four months and five days in which I learned to identify the signs of an oncoming panic attack and develop some subtle and some not-so-subtle techniques for extracting myself to a secluded spot where I could secretly melt down. Because I knew that if the people around me realized what I was going through, they would realize what a miserable, broken wreck I was. They would realize that all of the faith, all of the respect, and the trust that they had given to me over the years had been woefully ill-founded. And, and of course, they would do the only natural thing, would write me off as a, la- as a lost cause, shake the dust from their heels, and walk away. I mean, here I was in the prime of my career, and lately it seemed like the only things I could add to my resume were were things like able to work very quietly while crying, (laughs) can remain hidden under most office furniture when in the fetal position. And then, of course, there was my personal favorite, pathologically dependent on the soundtrack to the film Moana. (laughs) Now, at this point, I'm sure you have questions, things like, Vince, you're a dashing, virile young man. Surely you don't mean to suggest that you were listening to the soundtrack of a popular children's film in your professional office setting, and that is exactly what I mean to suggest. You see, I found in those four months and five days that the soundtrack to Moana, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the the inspirational themes or the upbeat rhythm or melodies, but, but the soundtrack to Moana was one of the only things that could calm the storm of anxiety and fear in my mind to a dull enough roar that I could actually function on a day-to-day basis. And so I listened to it day in and day out, over and over again (laughs) on a loop. In fact, my dependence on it became so great that at one point, I even gave a performance evaluation to a subordinate in my office while listening to the Moana soundtrack. (laughs) I still see that person. We don't work in the same office anymore, but I still run into them from time to time, and I don't know that I'll ever be able to unpack what was going on in their mind as they sat quietly and watched their direct supervisor offer stern but admittedly frantic performance criticism 
while listening to Dwayne The Rock Johnson <laughs> sing You're Welcome in the background. <laughs> there are moments that do real damage in a person's career, and I fear that was one of them for me. <laughs> My friends, I would love nothing more than to be making some of these things up. Nothing would make me happier than to say that some of this was really just color that I've sprinkled in here to inject a little levity to my sermon, but it's all absolutely true, and while with some, some time and, and a little bit of healing, I've learned to look back and, and laugh about these things. At the time, it felt very much like a horror now, in today's reading, we hear the story of the prophet Elijah in the wilderness. Now, as far as prophets go, Elijah is really in a class all his own. Elijah is like the $6 million man of prophets. He did everything better, faster, stronger. He had the technology. The prophet Elijah did things like raise infants from the dead he announced a drought on the nation of Israel and then three years later lifted it just to prove a point. He threw down with 400 priests of the Mesopotamian god Baal and then rained fire down from the sky to start a sacrificial offering. Elijah stood down queens and kings and then when it finally came time for Elijah to end his ministry, rather than simply dying in the same way that every other person in all of creation had done, the prophet Elijah climbs into a flaming chariot and ascends straight into heaven. The prophet Elijah never does a single small thing in the entire Hebrew Bible, and yet when we see him in today's reading, he's in exile alone in the wilderness. Consumed with a sense of anguish that somehow his ministry had accomplished nothing, we see him laid down in the dirt and ask God to end his life. I'm not any better than my ancestors, he says. Just... Just let this end. I see so much of my experience with anxiety in the story of Elijah today. I picture him there laying down in the dirt, balled up in the fetal position, as I so often found myself. I picture him looking back on prophets and leaders that had come before him, towering figures, Samuel, Deborah, Moses, and Joshua, and thinking, you know, they got it. You know, things just made sense to them. You know, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, no matter what effort I put into this, nothing seems to work. You know, if Moses were here, if Samuel were here, they would get it. They would be able to handle this. You know, maybe, maybe it'd just be better if I wasn't here at all. Let somebody else take over. And that's when God steps into the story. You see, as Elijah lays there in the dirt in his despair, he feels a gentle touch on his shoulder, a soft voice in his ear that says, Elijah, 
It's okay. I'm with you. I'm here. Get something to eat. Take care of yourself. I'm watching over you. For two days, God lets Elijah rest there in the wilderness before finally helping him to his feet and giving him the strength that he needed to carry on with his ministry. January 17th, 2017 was the day of my first panic attack. It was also the day that my wife and my mother, seeing me in the middle of a panic attack, each grabbed hold of my hands and the dam burst as I broke down and started crying in the middle of a restaurant. April 3rd, 2017 was the day that my executive director at Habitat for Humanity, where I was working, first learned what I'd been struggling with and met my condition, not with condescension or with judgment, but with a hug and words of comfort as she encouraged me to take some time for myself, go get help. May 27th. 2017 was the day that a colleague of mine learned what I'd been struggling with in the office and then shared that she also had anxiety disorder and cried to learn that she was not alone in having felt those things in the office. October 14th, 2019 was the day that my daughter held my hand and And my wife cradled my head in her lap as I very quietly came unglued over whether or not my sermon today would be good enough. I learned to keep track of all of those gentle touches, all of those soft voices that God sent to meet me in the darkness. They pulled me out. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, one in five Americans suffers from some form of mental illness. For those of you doing the math, that's over 46 million people. And while that might seem like a distressing figure, I take a tremendous amount of heart in that. You see, that figure says to me that statistically speaking, I am far from alone in this room right now. It says to me that right here, right now, someone in this room knows exactly what I've been through and may be struggling themselves. And it says to me that no matter what our minds may tell us when that darkness creeps in, it says to me that right here, right now, we are not alone. We are not alone. Because, of course, there's one last lesson tucked away in today's reading. You see, throughout the Bible, we hear stories of God reaching out to his people. Adam, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, all of them, when they hear God's voice for the first time, answer him with the same four words. Here I am, Lord. Nothing flashy, nothing over the top, no special talents or gifts, really, just 
a good attendance record is, is all that God looks for. However, in today's reading, we're also reminded that in our darkest moments, in our most failing times, when the world seems to be collapsing in around us, in those times, God reaches back out to us. A gentle touch, a soft voice that says, it's okay, it's okay. Just breathe. I'm here too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every gentle touch. We thank you for every soft voice that you send to meet us in the darkness. We thank you for the abundance, the peace, and the grace of your love. And we thank you for being there for us. We ask that you put a light in our hearts that we may be a beacon to those who suffer around us. That we may be that gentle touch and that soft voice, that bright light that guides them to your love. Amen.